0: I'm glad y'all are here this morning, we're in Genesis 16, you can be turning there, and uh, if you happen to be a guest today, or uh, I kind of realized this morning, even if you've been here the whole time, I-, I need to explain a little bit of the reason why we've been doing Genesis since January, so that's that's a long time, and it's, fi- it's 50, 51 chapters, and we're in chapter 16, so I uh, don't have any good news for you about speed, uh, but, uh, but, but uh, so far... Um, uh, people have been kind and, and seem to, uh, God's using it in our lives. It's, uh, and, and if you haven't been here, at the beginning we have been trying to say uh, the first verse of Genesis in Hebrew and then also in English. And, uh, and there's several reasons why, uh, to, in my mind at least. One is just in general to realize that our Bible wasn't written in the English language. And uh, some people get really uh, keyed up about certain versions of the Bible. Uh, The one they get keyed up about the most, uh, King James, the one they're reading is not the King James. Um, It's about the fourth or fifth revision since then uh, itself. Um, And the Bible is actually written in in the language of Hebrew and Greek and some Aramaic. And, and so there's a richness in language, and, and we just kind of need to be aware of that, that uh, God is faithful in, in translation and, transpo- and transposing things over so that we still have God's Word and uh, we know that God gave it to us perfectly and and we have faithful translations of it. And so I'm always grateful for that. But our language evolves, Hebrew evolved. The Hebrew of the Bible is not the Hebrew they speak today, even though, of course, it's very similar. Uh, But but we need to understand that. Secondly, if you get Genesis 1-1 right, you get everything else right. That That is just something we got to, just to remind us. And and uh, us doing that together every week, I just said we would do it, and we've been doing it. But um, in, in my own mind, I, I can't read anywhere in the Bible now where it doesn't come back to, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let, let me try to explain that one other way, uh, what I mean. I had a, a, a professor in my life that was actually the pastor that ordained me. And uh, he would say... When you accept the God of the Bible, the miracles of the Bible are no problem. And if you think about that, if you can get to, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and you hold to that, everything else, that becomes your filter for everything else. And your understanding of the scripture, and you just go, wow, God did something. I may not be able to explain how he did it, but I can trust that he did something. Do that, and so uh, that and it our kids man we we've got children uh, quoting this in Hebrew better than us adults can do it. And uh, that's just a joy to me that, that they're memorized, both the Hebrew and the English. And uh, I mean, kids that haven't started school yet, they've got that under their belt now. And uh, just to me, that's wonderful. So having said that, let's stand up. We're going to try it, okay? Um, y'all have been with me a long time. So if you're new, we apologize. But we're going to jump right into it, say it twice in Hebrew, once in English. Y'all ready? Let's do it now. Be'rashit barah Elohim. Et Hashamayam va et haaretz. Let's do it again. Bereshit bara Elohim. Et va et In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis one one. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all gonna be seated. Thank y'all for doing that. It's a lot of fun today. We come to chapter sixteen. And I've entitled this a Triangle of Mistakes. There are three. There are three. There's actually four main characters in the chapter, but three of whom make a horrible mistakes. And uh, and uh, we're using that word very loosely. Um, uh, Some of it could be counted as sin, but but it's at least a mistake that needs to be kind of corrected. And and one of the reasons. Uh, we can, uh, w- we say that we can trust that this is a trustworthy book, it's because it doesn't sugarcoat anything. It shows you the, the ugly side of its heroes and, and it gives us insight into what God is doing or thinking in that moment, uh, at least uh, to some degree. And uh, in, this, in, in this chapter, uh, somebody pointed out to me afterwards, I, I kind of, we, well, we were kind of on the same page. This has a very direct correlation to Genesis 1, 2, and actually Genesis 3. There's a, almost a direct correlation. And the person speaking to me said, it seems to me that this is the second biggest catastrophe in human history that affects everybody in the world. The first one is the fall of Adam. The second one is what, Ad, what Abram and Hagar and Sarai and all of them a mistakes, the outflow of that, it, is, it affects the whole world all the time. And and so, understanding that, we're, we're going to look at this together. I, I would ask you the question, uh, have you ever made a mistake? I, I'm sure most of you have not, but anybody here? Okay. Yeah, we, we've all messed it up. And I don't know about you, but I do not handle making mistakes well. Uh, I get, I, I'm embarrassed that I messed up. Um, it's just, I, I mean... You could go back in my whole life from childhood and just doing something foolish as a child and point out what I did, and I would just feel horrible about it. I, I don't know if you don't, maybe you don't feel that way. Maybe you're like, ah, who cares? But I care a lot about that. But boy, if I made a mistake that causes somebody else to stumble, fall, or make a mistake, nah, that just, that multiplies that, that feeling of, of, Uh, I want to use the word horror. That might be too strong. But that feeling of disappointment maybe uh, in myself. Well, in in this case, one led to another to another. And we're going to look at that together. But here's what I want you to take home with you today. Playing God always leads to trouble. When you get in the way of what God's trying to do, that always leads to trouble. Sometimes we do that in a well-meaning intention, a well-meaning way. Uh, For instance... The Puritans used to say that God whispers to us in, in, in our worship, our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. And in other words, when you're in trouble, you don't say, Dear Heavenly Father. You're going, Oh, God, right? You, you really get serious with God at that point. And so many times we will see someone who may be going through some difficulty and we pray for their relief. Now, that's okay as long as you say, Lord, if it's your will— but we want to we save people from their pain. It's like we, we, we think life comes with warning labels. I mean, warning labels are there to keep stupid people alive, right? <laughs> Basically. And, and, and so when we see somebody suffering, we all, we want to help them, we want to do all that. It may be God's will. God uses what is here. It may be his will for them to be in that situation till they acknowledge him, to to feel the pain of being separated from him or to be learning a lesson or be learning just conditioning for patience with Christ. I mean, what Abraham and Sarah or Abram and Sarai at this point in time, God has them waiting on a child. And everybody may have been praying, oh, we we hope Abram and Sarai have a child. Well, God's already promised it. They've just got to live in the meantime, and this is where the errors are going to come in. And so Sarai is the one that starts playing God. Abram disobeys God, which is saying, I know more than you, so I'm going to do this anyway. Hagar is more of a victim, but she also reacts wrongly, and it's pretty interesting what happens to her. In fact, most of the chapter concerns Hagar rather than Abram and Sarai. So I find that very interesting. And so I wanted you to see in the very first two verses we see two of the big mistakes made and so if you'll look with me in chapter 16 excuse me you see the first two now sarai abram's wife had borne him no children all right so just stating the fact reminding you what's going on god is just saying now we're back to this part of the story and just to remind you sarai has not had a baby abram is about 86 at this point so Sarai, that makes her about seventy-six, seven years old. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Here it is, verse 2. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from, being, from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. We see the first two big mistakes are encapsulated in verse 2 verse 1 just again says hey she hasn't had a baby yet and and abram and she have not been able to have a baby but she does have a female servant named hagar an egyptian woman so in verse 2 sarah takes the the reins and i want you to notice what she says her opening argument to abraham is behold it's god's fault the lord has prevented me from having children Now, she stopped talking too soon there. She put a period there. The Lord's prevented me from having children. What does that imply? It implies, and I'm never going to have any. Because again, she's 76, 77, somewhere in that age range. And I don't have children. And probably even with the difference in, in age and health of our lifespans and hers, she may be saying, and now I can't. Now, what she should have gone on to say, the Lord has prevented me from having children so far. But he promised, and we know we're going to get one eventually, right? But this shows her just lack of faith. She doubts God. She no longer trusts God. She's feeling this pressure. Wait a minute. I, I physically can't even bear children. I'm sure she realized that. I physically cannot bear children any longer. And God didn't do it like, you know, two months after it seemed to have ended. Uh, but rather, he made them wait about 13 more years uh, before, before children came along. So... So Sarai says, let me take care of God's business. (laughs) I got a good idea. All right? And this is the mistake we all make, right? When we try to do God's will with our abilities. You see, doing God's will, God uses our abilities. He uses whatever we have, our our intelligence, our physical ability, um, whatever that he has given us. But if we do it apart from his will and his grace enabling us, we do it maybe for our own good. I, I would just give an example. I, 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 don't mean, I don't mean this in a judgmental way, but it's going to sound judgmental. But that's, that's not my intention. But if God bless someone with a, an unbelievably great singing voice and they know him, and yet they don't use that in their giftedness to encourage the church, but rather to make money... It could be that God may call them to do that to draw attention to Himself, and, and some of them do that. But it may be that they're not doing what God's will is. I, I can't judge that. I've talked to an individual, but I'm trying to help you understand that we can use our gifts to encourage and help the church, or we can use our gifts to draw attention to ourselves. And when we do that, we're getting outside of God's will. And but Sarai. She is looking at, I don't have the ability. Now, again, I go to the New Testament, I read where Jesus said, with men this is impossible, with God nothing is impossible. It's got its roots back here in Genesis, right? God's going to do something impossible. He's already done the flood, that was pretty impossible. Now he's going to do a miracle in Sarai, having a child, past childbearing time. So, Sarai tries her own solution. She's going to help God out. God, obviously, you don't know what you're doing. So, let me tell you how to do it. Right? Y'all never did that? Oh, man. A lot of people make that mistake. Look what she says. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. So, here's her solution now i I, you really i'm going to say a lot of things that are, are potentially offensive i've had like three warnings since the first service so i'm going to do my best not to be too too bad here but you have to understand that culture the the favored wife is the favored wife okay she runs the household so you can see it in david's life he got he's got more wives than we can we know Uh, probably, but Bathsheba becomes his favorite wife eventually, and it's through her that the line of Jesus and all comes, right? You follow me? Solomon comes through Bathsheba and then on. And so she becomes his favored wife, but he's got a lot of wives. So whoever the favored wife is runs the household, so she runs all the others. So Sarai has had no competition up to this point, all right? And now she is giving Hagar to Abraham. Or to Abram. And we're going to see something important that happens. But it was, it was legal back then. This was a practice where I can't have children, so take this servant and have children by her. But those are my children. Out of the 12 tribes of Israel, some of them were born to servants of Leah and Rachel. You can go back and read on that. So they didn't all come from Leah and Rachel. Um, Judah came from Leah, uh, we'll point out. But but there were others there that are Jewish people, that are Jewish tribes, but they're not, Rachel or Leah were not their mom. So Sarah is going to take this common cultural practice and implement it. It'd be like a surrogate mom, which I, I don't have to explain when a different lady bears a child for you, but it's, it is your child that is implanted. Well, it's a little different, but. So here's Abram's big mistake, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. That is an echo that is an echo from something else that happened. I don't know if y'all are laughing at something I said, but anyway, um, I don't know what happened there. But, but this is an echo of something already happened. It sounds a lot like Genesis 3 where Adam listened to the voice of his wife. And the reason it echoes so loudly is it's the exact same word. See, Abram's doing the very sin Adam did. Passivity. Abram should have said, uh, no, God has told us you and I are going to have a child, and I don't know what's going on. Maybe, you know, we may die childless and, because maybe it was too much pizza or something, but we're not doing that. We're going to wait on God. That was his job. And men, let me tell you, that is your job. Your job is to lead your family into the will of God. And not very because there's a problem in doing so. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. But then this gets a little more complicated. Look at verse 3. So, after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, not saying 10 years after this event, saying they'd been in Canaan about 10 years when this happened, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram her husband, notice the last three words, as a wife. Now I'm gonna say the first offensive thing. I'm just go ahead and warn you, but I'm quoting a country song, okay? I don't even remember who sang it or anything else. But up to this point, Sarai is queen of the double wife. <laughs> All right? Abram marries Hagar. She is now legally a wife. It's not to just, well, you can have a baby with my servant. It's she becomes his wife. Sarai now is competition and Hagar, because she conceives, is now elevated because what is in their culture, don't, you know, if y'all are watching online and you're, like, oh my gosh, you're a sexist pig. Yes, I am, but that's beside the point right now. The point of having the wife was to bear children for the future. Okay? So, a woman that was barren, they considered cursed and and, and, and not worth as much. And so, now Hagar is going to have a child, and that demotes Sarai, especially, (laughs) look what happens, Hagar flaunts it. Verse 4, he went into Hagar, she conceived. And when she saw she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. She is a slave that has now been elevated, and now I'm pregnant, and you can't have a baby, and so now I'm the boss. This is part of that sin that's going on. And Sarah says, Sarah says to Abram in verse 5, and to me this is hilarious, but then once you understand it, it's still funny, but at least you understand it. Sarah said to Abram, may this wrong done to me be on you. Uh, wait a minute, time out. All right, uh, in our culture and reading that, we're like, what? Have you lost your mind? You're the one that brought this up. But she's not talking about that. She's talking about, not that she's got, but now this, this young woman has elevated herself, and she's getting on my case, and I have not abdicated the throne of being your queen. And it's your problem. And so, Abram, again, what is being pointed out here is he's still passive. Not only did he agree, and gentlemen, again, we've got to follow. We have the complete will of God. Everything God wants us to know is written down in this book. And you've got at least one of them in your house, in this room. There are Millions of Christians around the world don't have access to this word. you probably got more than one copy. You've probably got more than one version. You've got computer helps and book helps to help you understand it. And you will incur a greater judgment at, at judgment time because of the availability of knowing God's will and you ignored his will and didn't do it. And so I'm speaking to the men. And guys, we're going to really work on ourselves this coming year. It's going to start in September. We're going to start a book study in September. I want you all to come. Uh, Because it's been very helpful to me, but but our job is to say this is God's will and this is what we're going to do. Now you have to do that, even if your wife is like, yeah, but what about this? But what about that? But no, we're going to do this. Yeah, but are you thinking about that? How about did you even consider this? You know, isn't that what we do? And then eventually we listen to the voice of our wife, right? And we have to be able to say because let me let me let you in on a little secret. Here's what your wife needs from you: security. You might not expect that word, but one of the big things husbands provide for their wives: security. We going a have place to live. We gonna have food to eat. Can we afford some clothes? Love to have a baby. Can we do that? We give security, and when things are upset and troubled. A wife needs security. A man that I call the wisest man in the world said that whenever a big event, something would be happening, he said, and I would be a little confused. I didn't know what to do. I'd be trembling. I I never could imagine him being that way, but obviously all men are the same. He said his wife would look at him and say, well, are you going to be a man and lead us out of this or what? Now, if you be that kind of wife, you have a man that'll buck up and, you know, mount up and do it. Well, Abram is still being passive because he has not said, uh-uh, Hagar, uh-uh, she's still the queen. You're just having a baby. He's allowed this argument to go on. And in fact, we see it to the point that he hides behind his wife's skirts. So she saw this. Abram says, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. and when she saw, uh, And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May Yahweh judge between you and me. And Abram says to Sarai, she's your servant, do what you want. Wait a minute, Abram, that's your wife. You took her as wife. You got a responsibility to her too. But he hides behind his wife. Your servant's in your power, do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. Now, Sarai shouldn't have been dealing harshly with Hagar either because she came up with the idea. Abram agreed and we thought we had all this settled, but no, nothing's ever settled, right? It, it's called the law of unintended consequences, too. I never thought about that part, and that's our problem. We, we can't think of everything. Listen, you go to do something, there's 100 things go wrong. If you're a genius, you'll think of 50 of them, all right? And so there's always danger that you did not think of. That's why the Bible says there's wisdom in counsel. There's wisdom in getting other people because other people might think of something you didn't. But they didn't think about that. And so now we got this problem. But Hagar, now we see her mistake. Hagar runs from Sarah. She fled from her. Now we come to Hagar. We've seen Sarah didn't believe God. Sarah didn't believe God. Abram goes along, which was a sin. But now, Hagar is paid a visit. Let me read that verse, and I want to say something. The angel of the Lord, found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. I want you to notice in your English Bible, most English translations will do this. The word angel of the Lord, the word Lord is in all capital letters. The word angel in the Bible, Old and New Testament, means messenger, Okay? Excuse me. That went down the wrong pipe. We're good. So, it always means messenger. Now, angels are created being. We only know of two types of angels. Seraphs and... um, Lost the other one. Um, Seraphim and... Cherubim. Thank you. Cherubs are the bad boys. Seraphs are usually the ones that come and message. Cherubs are the ones that, that are the warrior angels. And so... But every time the Bible says messenger does not necessarily mean it's a physical angel or a spiritual angel. It's a messenger from God. Well, this word Lord is the word meaning Yahweh. This is not a messenger from a Lord. This is the messenger of Yahweh. Hebrews chapter 1. God spoke to us in many ways and many times in times past. List all these ways. It says, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son who, sat, who did what he did, sat down now at the throne of night, right? He is the messenger. He is the last word of God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. This angel of the Lord is Jesus. In this text, this is Jesus talking to Hagar. Now you're gonna to have to know that, and you will realize it as we go on. But what he's gonna to say to her, then you realize, yeah, that has to be Jesus, couldn't be anybody else, because God speaks to us through Christ, and that's always the way it happens. But notice what happens. Angel Lord found her by a spring of water, and he says in verse uh, eight Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? Now, God never asks a question because he needs an answer. He asks a question because you've got to figure out the answer. You haven't thought it through yet, so God asks a question to get you there. In the New Testament, one of my, uh, it, it's, it's one of the most horrible verses in the Bible, but one of, one of the stories that will, will help keep you straight is this guy, he plants his crops, and that year he gets like three times whatever he got, usually. So he says, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns, and then I'm going to retire and eat, drink, and be merry. So, that night, God visited him, or that, if God visited him after he did that, and said, hey, fool. He says, hey, you fool. Tonight, you're going to die. And then, who's is that all that going to belong to? Whose will that be? In other words, if you waste all your time building a kingdom here, you will die and leave it. And somebody else will get it. Why don't you spend all your time building God's kingdom, because that counts in eternity? When you build your kingdom here, it'll last for best seventy or eighty years, maybe a little longer, and then you will die and leave it all to somebody else. Not saying it's wrong to have things; that's great. God blesses some people to be able to do that, so that they can help do the will of God in the world, and it's a wonderful thing. But where is your motivation? What are you trying to do? And And here the Lord asks Hagar, where are you coming from and where are you going? And she's honest, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. He tells her to do two things, go back and submit. You be in submission to Sarai because this is God's order of things. This is what God wants. What we see here, we see so much in, in, in people is we want to rebel. We don't like what God's doing and we're rebelling, we're fighting, we want to get away from God. And there is joy and there is, is peace in submitting to authority that God's placed in your life. We see our nation right now being torn apart because we're throwing off all of our authorities. You say, well, I... I don't know, that sounds a little crazy. Well, let me give you a verse out of Philippians. Again, everything starts in Genesis. Here's a verse in Philippians. Have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being God, thought equality with God, not something to be held on to, is the the Greek translation, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And being found in the form of a human being, lowered himself to the point of being a servant even to the point of dying on a cross and because of that obedience God has highly exalted him so that he has a name above every name that in the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess if you want to be great in the kingdom of God you've got to go as low as you can in service and it doesn't matter what your job is you have to think I'm a servant of all I'm a servant to everybody else when we demand our rights, when we demand our own, when we want what we want, we miss God's best. You may get the best that this world has to offer, but you will miss God's best. And so Jesus looks at Hagar and says, "You need to go back, and you need to submit to her. She's going to be your boss." And then the Angel of the Lord said, "Surely I will multiply your uh, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Remember this." I'm going to say this and then come back to this verse. Abram lived 175 years. And after Sarah, Sarah at that time died, he married other women and had a bunch more children. And God's promise to Abram is I'll make your descendants as many as the sands of the sea. All his descendants are not Jewish. Let me show you what's happening. Notice what the angel of the Lord said to her I will multiply. This cannot be a regular angel. This has to be Jesus. Only God can say what he will do. An angel would have said, God has told me to tell you, like he said to Mary, God is going to visit you and the child that will be found in you is from the Holy Spirit and his name is Jesus. He's going to save his people from their sin. He didn't say, I'm going to do it. He said, God's going to do it. Here, an angel would say, God's going to do it. But this angel says, I'm going to do it. That means it's Jesus. has to be Jesus. I will... Multiply your offspring so that they cannot be uh, numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, and then he gives her the lowdown. Check this out. Behold, you're pregnant. You'll bear a son. His name shall be called Ishmael, which means the Lord heard me or hears me. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. I told you this has affected the world ever since. Let me tell you why. Ishmael is the father of all Arab people. Now, Islam didn't start till after Christ. So you need to get that straight in your mind. Originally, these are the children of Abram or Abraham, and they know about Jehovah. And they have been in that land ever since Ishmael was born. So... I don't know if you're catching on to this yet or not. Last week we had Rima, who is an Arab person from Nazareth. And I asked her, how long have there been Arab Christians in Israel? And that cannot be counted. They've been there since Jesus was there just about. In America, we kind of, we like to think simply. We like to just like, you know, bad, good. they are, good and bad in every group. And there have been faithful Arab Christians since Christ. There have been faithful Arabic people, or Arab people since Ishmael. But he's a wild donkey of a man. He's going to fight. All the struggles between Arab and Jew is a fight, is a family feud. They're cousins. They're half-brothers, actually. Right? Right? right don't condemn a people group condemn evil that is only comes from our enemy satan and pray for the people caught in a trap that need the gospel friend if you don't think that way you're going to be not a good person you see our call is to preach the gospel to every creature why because there's not a person alive today that you're not related to you may not be able to discover how you're related, but everybody came from Adam, and then everybody came through Jonah, and we are all related. So why would you hate your family members? You Someone said, you don't know my family. Okay, don't be smart, Ellen. Why would you want your family to go to hell? Physical family. We, we become one in Christ, Right? Because we are all related. Our ethnicity, our racial history, I don't even like using that term. There's only one race. But, but the variance in, in the human race just is what that. We're all the same under God. We're all created from one man. And Jesus says, you go back. You be in submission. This boy's going to be a wild one. But he's going to be the Lord hears. So she called the name, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing, for she said, which is El Roy. Truly I hear, I have seen him who looks after me. And therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy, and it lies between Kadesh and Bered, saying in seeing or in hearing, God has heard me. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore ishmael to abram and then history goes on i I want you to just see that god has a plan now why did god allow this to go on because it's created conflict almost ever since because god is bringing this world to an end this world will not last forever right this world will end even people that don't know christ believe that they believe a lot of weird things, different things that may happen. But we know, we got the last chapter, last book in, this, in the Bible. We read the back of the book. We know what's going to happen. And you can find that in Revelation. But this world will go through an ending of a sort, then a change, and then a destruction and recreation by God. So God, all these things come together for His glory. But I want you to point, I want to just point out, That when we get outside the will of God, we get in trouble. It always causes some sort of difficulty, some sort of trouble. God's going to redeem all this for his good in the end. And I can't wait to see how he does that. But Hagar goes back and she does what she's supposed to do. Now in a couple of chapters, once Sarai has her baby, there ain't room in this house for both of us. And she throws Hagar out and God's got to take care of that again, take care of her. But... God does not reject Hagar. He does not reject Ishmael. He, in fact, he says, you go back, you be in Abram's household. And later on, when the covenant is made with Abram, and all the men are circumcised, Abram, when he's old, Ishmael is circumcised. Ishmael is a son of a covenant relationship that Abram had with God. It's not the covenant in which we get Christ, but he's still a covenant child. Are you hearing me? We got to think that way because that is the gospel. Jesus died not for a certain group of people. He died for all people. So that of all the nations, he was making one body in the church, according to Ephesians. Well, what can you do with all this? Well, first of all, I would tell you to wait patiently in prayer in every circumstance. You see, waiting is not passivity. Abram is being passive. Waiting on the Lord is an active thing. You are deciding to wait. Again, a wise man told me one time, don't just don't decide, decide not to decide. In a sense, Abram should have said, honey, we are, I am deciding. We're not going to do anything unless God does it. And we're not going to try to figure this out. It looks like you're not doing anything, but what it actually is doing is trusting God and deciding we're not going to fix it ourselves. We're going to trust God to fix it. You following me? So in your own life, if you need something and you believe that God knows you and loves you and has the power to do your best, wait patiently in prayer before him and say, God, I'm content with you until you bring other fulfillment or other things into my life. That's why I I like that last song that we sang today, Be Thou My Vision. I want God my vision, not what God gives me my vision. I want God to be my vision. I want to know Him. I want to follow Him. So wait patiently in prayer in every circumstance. Secondly, don't be passive about the will of God. Actively wait. Know what the will of God is and be in it. Do it. If you know what God's will is, then actively be pursuing his will in your life don't just listen to every other voice and then thirdly realize that God can redeem any situation Uh, we mentioned at the beginning of making mistakes and some mistakes seem irreparable and there are conditions in this world where you can't go back and fix things I get that but God can do something with even our mess and he can Recreated into the future so that it works for His glory and our good. And so I encourage you to believe that God can fix and redeem any situation you find yourself in. And so I want us to pray for a moment here, actually for a little bit longer in a moment. I want us to ask God, first of all, if you don't know Him, if you don't have Him in your life, I want you to, to today... If, if God is leading your heart that you don't know him, to tell him that you want to submit yourself to his leadership, you want to surrender your life into his hands. We don't, we don't pray to know God so that we can go to heaven and miss hell. We pray to know God because we want to know God. And we want to follow him. And knowing him and following him, heaven is just a byproduct. It's guaranteed. We don't have to think about that part. But when we're motivated by just going to heaven, we're missing the point. The point is to know God and to follow his will. So if you've never done that, if you've never come to God and said, God, I know that I need you. I want you to be the focus of my life. I want you to be my vision. I want you to to be the one that I pursue. Then you can just tell him in prayer right now. There are no magic words. You just tell God that you want to belong to him, that you want to be forgiven of your sin by the blood of Christ, and you want to be a a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you can tell him that in prayer right now, Lord, I pray you would move in the hearts, whether in this room or elsewhere, God, that you move in their hearts to receive you, to follow you, to submit themselves to your will. And maybe you're already a believer and you know God and, and you walk with God, but you know, oh, wow, I, instead of waiting on God, I jumped the gun. I did this here and I shouldn't have done it. But God can redeem that. God can take care of that. But you got to be willing to take your hands off of it and trust God. And that's one of the hardest things any of us do. We want assurance. We want security. We want to know our, our future is, is set. So I encourage you, if you're a believer and God's got you in a situation and you don't know which way to turn, that today you will actively trust him and you will ask him to solve that problem in his way and his time and you won't grab the wheel back out of his hands. But you will let God be God. So Lord, I, I just thank you that we could pray today that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, we can talk to you. We thank you, Lord, that you visited Hagar there in that desert by that well. You told her to submit, to go back. And Lord, we, we know there's been trouble because of that birth ever since. But Lord, we also know that you have a plan that is much higher than our plans. You have a way that's much higher than our ways. And our job, that you've given us. We don't need to know all that. Our job is to witness to every living creation and tell every living person about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for them. So Lord, we ask right now that as your people, you would speak in our heart. Burden us for our neighbor, burden us for our family, burden us for our friends, burden us for the stranger that we don't know, for those who are caught by the trap of Satan have believed a lie, and their brains are so twisted and wrong they can't even think straight at all anymore. And that, God, you would heal them and bring them to a place of salvation and that we would love them and encourage them and tell them the truth so that they can know those things. Lord, you are an awesome and mighty God. And we trust you to do all these things in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, folks, go out this week and live for God. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.